Good morning. So glad to be here with you today. And um, as Chris said, uh, I have uh, got a history here, and uh, so it's always good to be back here and preaching at Freedom and, and hanging out with y'all. I do want to encourage you, as Chris said, I want to encourage you to pray for Joseph, pray for your pastor. Uh, I do get to go all over the state and have conversations with pastors all over the state and some out of the state. And I will tell you this, that it's always a, a pressure to pastor a church. It's a pressure that really nobody understands other than those folks who've done it or maybe the, the ones who are married to the guys who have done it. They have a pretty good understanding of it as well. But uh, this past year has been particularly stressful for everybody, but particularly stressful for pastors. I've had so many conversations with guys that would say to me, all the people I would normally call to find out what I'm supposed to do in situations I've never been in before, none of them have been in this situation either. So there was no collective wisdom that anybody could draw on, which it's always good to have pastors who are older than you that have been in the game longer than you have to call on. And they would call these guys and they'd say, I don't know, you help me figure it out. We, we don't know. And so it's been an extremely stressful year for pastors. So I'll always encourage you to pray for Joseph when I stand up here to preach, but I want to encourage you especially to do that now. And I'm thankful that he's going to get some time off after, after they're in Michigan. We were texting this morning and last night, and he's excited to be, to be up there at his old church in Michigan. I, I want to show you, so today, let me say happy Father's Day, and I want to show you this, uh, this little funny thing I saw online last night. Um, if those of you that have grown up in church or been around church know this is the case, on Mother's Day... The sermon is, you are so loved and appreciated. On Father's Day, the sermon is, all right, everybody shape up. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've been to church on Mother's Day, and it's like, oh, we couldn't do it without our mothers. Your mother never made a mistake. She's the greatest thing ever. If we could all be more like our mothers. And it's all this great stuff. And listen, mothers are amazing. But there's, there's some bad ones out there, too, I'm sure. Some of you were probably raised by one, and you're like, yeah, she didn't live up to that. And then Father's Day, it's almost like, let me tell you, you guys, if y'all would just do some things different, the world would be better that's what what you kind of feel like on father's day i i hope you won't feel like that today in fact this message today i'll tell you where it came from it i didn't even prepare it thinking specifically about father's day but i will tell you this um i'm so thankful for my father and i know so many of you are thankful for your fathers as well and and those of you i'm looking at i see a bunch of bunch of dads out there keep doing what you're doing uh keep keep loving your kids encouraging them uh, all the girl dads out there, uh, I, I love you especially. I'm a girl dad. Those, those of you guys, guys that raise sons, you have to know how to fix sheetrock. Those of you guys that raise, da raise daughters, you got to know how to fix broken hearts. It's a little different skill set there. It's, it's both important, but it's a different skill set. And so, uh, so, but thank you for what you do day in and day out. So we're going we're gonna to jump into Acts chapter 5 in just a minute. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got your phone app, that you want to look at that, look at Acts chapter 5. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a few other things before we get there, but uh, we'll be at Acts chapter 5, starting with verse, uh, starting with verse 1 in just a minute. Um, I, 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 here's a little secret you may not know. Some of you do know this. When a guy stands up here to teach, and he's not your regular pastor, the chances are good he's preached this message somewhere else before. I'm just going to be honest with you, all right? It's not like, so, so I, I had two dates coming up. I had, I had to preach for the staff at Camp McCall, which is a camp just up in the mountains up from here, and, and it was all their staff members. So it was a group of 18 to 22-year-old young men who I was 
getting to teach. And then I was going to teach here. And I was actually working on a different message for here. I'd been working on it for a while as an idea that, that you know, was kind of floating around in my head. And then as I was working on teaching what I wanted to teach at Camp McCall, I thought, you know what? This is something that I need to hear as a 50, now 52, as of yesterday, 52-year-old man. Um, and so I thought, I need to hear this as a 52-year-old man, even though I'm teaching it for 18 to 22-year-old men. Chances are there's going to be some folks at Freedom that need to hear this too. So, so, uh, so I've, I've, I've taken the idea that I started with teaching to 18 to 22-year-old young men, but I think we all need to hear it because I needed to hear it. Uh, so, so I wanted to, uh, to uh, share that with you this morning as we get going. But one of the things I was thinking about is uh, the verse in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.11, and it says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down, that foundation is Jesus Christ. And this is just a great reminder to us, and I'm thinking about this particularly on Father's Day today. This is a great reminder to us that everything that we are as, as, as believers in Jesus, as if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, if you, if you claim to, to believe in Jesus or that, that this faith is important to you, we need to understand that all of that is based on Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus did. The fact that Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, died a painful death on the cross, and then rose again from the grave after being buried, that, that, that's everything that we believe is based on that. And so we need to keep that in mind today as we look at this scripture, that it all is based on the person and the work of Jesus. And so, so anything that we do has to be built on that foundation. Now, we understand that foundations are, in, are important. This building has a foundation. Every structure has some type of foundation. And, and because you can't build anything unless it starts with a solid foundation. And so our foundation as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as folks who are trying to make their way living in a culture that, that oftentimes and most of the time is moving further and further away from the teachings of Jesus, that we have to understand that our foundation has to be on Jesus. It has to be on, on what Jesus taught in the New Testament. It has to be on the, the things that, that he taught us about the Old Testament. It's got to be based on who he is. And then if you look one verse further back in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul writes this, <clears throat> According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds on it. So Jesus is the foundation, and we, we didn't build that foundation. In fact, we can't do anything uh, to, to build that type of foundation. We're totally dependent on Jesus, and he's the only way that we can be saved and forgiven of our sins. It has nothing to do with anything we do. It's only by his decision and what he has done. But we do have a responsibility to then build on that foundation for our own personal lives and the way we're supposed to live. And, and I think about that in terms of Father's Day today. Many of you have been given a strong foundation in the home you grew up in. I love that here Paul says that I have built a foundation and now others are building on it. And I, I grew up with where I had a foundation given to me by my father, by my, by my parents and my household. And then I had to choose how I was going to build on it. 
And what we're going to talk about today is something that I think is extremely important that we need to be building into our own foundations. Think something that we're responsible for for ourselves and we've got to be building on it on the foundation that Jesus has already given us because we're all building our own personal foundations and it makes a huge difference in how we interact with people and the kind of people we're going to be in response to what Jesus has done for us. So look at Acts chapter 5. Starting with verse 1, and I'm going to read through the first 11 verses, and we'll kind of talk uh, as I go through this. So it says this, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. By the way, and whenever you just open up the Bible like we just did, and the first word is but, you probably need to go back and look what happened before. Same thing with therefore. So we're going to do that in just a second. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's another clue when you're reading the Bible. When you see the word however, probably ought to also go back and see what happened before because chances are what you just read doesn't line up with what happened before. That's the way the word however works. Like, you know, thinking about when you put your kids to bed when they're little and it's like, okay, I know you told me that you brushed your teeth. However, your breath smells like peanut butter. So why don't you go back in there and, uh, and have another shot at it? And so when we see however here, we know that what just happened is different from something that happened before. So look back at Acts chapter four. It's going to be on the screen or you can just, if you're in your app, you can just swipe to the chapter before. Acts chapter 4, the last few verses of Acts chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, says this. For there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. So what we're talking about is this was in the early church. So Jesus had, it had not been long. Jesus had gone back into heaven after the resurrection. The church had started. It was a brand new thing. The Christian, first Christian church. Peter had, had, uh, had, had preached on Pentecost. 3,000 people became part of the faith of Jesus that day. So the church grew overnight from just a handful of folks to over 3,000 people. And so now one of the things that's happening is people were meeting the needs of other folks in the church family by selling property they would own. And so they would own this property and they would come to church publicly and they would lay it what they got for the, the property they sold, whether it was who knows how much property sold for back then. Let's just say you could sell a piece of property for 42 goats and, uh, and 27 pieces of gold, whatever it is. And they would bring that in and they would lay that at the apostles' feet. This was everything I got for selling this property. I'm going to give it to the church. So I'm giving it to the apostles so that it can be used to meet the needs of the other people in the church. And then look at the next verse there. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which translated means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So it gives a specific example of somebody who did this. A guy named Joseph, who his nickname was Barnabas, and you're going to hear a lot more. If you read through the book of Acts, you hear a lot more about Barnabas after this story. And so here was an example of what was going on. So that's what was going on in the church. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 5. So Ananias sold a piece of property, and look at verse 2 again. However, the reason it says however is, instead of giving everything that he got 
to the apostles the full amount of what he sold the property for. It says, however, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, Ananias, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead and a great fear came on all who heard. Yes, I bet a great fear did come on all who heard. Every time I read this story, I think about like what was talked about at the Mexican restaurant after church that day. You know how you, know how you go out to eat after church and you kind of talk about, oh man, pastor's sermon wasn't that great today, or he really, it was awesome today, or man, the band sounded great. Imagine sitting at the Mexican restaurant after church that day and you're like, can you believe that dude just dropped dead in the middle of the service? That is crazy. And someone walks over from the Methodist church, see how things went. What happened at your church today? A dude got killed in the service. God killed a guy. We, it's, we're still talking about it. It's crazy. And so then verse 6, it says this, the young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. So evidently they had a burying committee already set up. It was all the young guys. It's like, y'all are strong enough to dig a hole. And so when, if, so if this happens, be ready. We got some shovels, and we're going to take this guy out back and buried him. Then verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Now, I love this part because his wife now has an opportunity to come clean. Because we already read in the earlier verses said with his wife's full knowledge, Ananias had sold this property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he had brought part of the money to the church, but not all of the money to the church. And so she's got an opportunity now to tell the truth. <clears throat> yes, she said, for that price. Not a good choice by her to say that. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. Now let's just get it out of the way, what you're thinking. This is a weird story. It's all right for us to say that about the Bible. It's weird. It, do, it doesn't line up with what we're used to hearing about. It doesn't line up with what we're used to seeing happen in church, at least not in any church experience I've ever had. And I've been in a lot of church services over my lifetime. But the thing that I think we need to be careful of in this story, or the thing that I think we can learn in this story, is that oftentimes we come to the Bible thinking that God was one way in the Old Testament and then he was different in the New Testament. So we have this idea that the God of the Old Testament, he was angry all the time. He was regularly killing people. He was always judging, never any mercy. And, and he just was, you know, just this God who was ready to take people out. And then we have this idea that the God of the New Testament, that somehow he, he mellowed out started drinking some decaf, decided he was just going to love and forgive everything and wasn't going to really hold anybody to any standard anymore, just as long as you tried hard and you wanted to be a good person, then you were able to be forgiven for everything. And this story, since it's in the New Testament, is a great reminder to us that God is consistent. 
that the God of the Old Testament is as no different than the God of the New Testament. Joseph has been teaching us for the last several weeks about the, the festivals and, and the celebrations of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and he always draws a line to say, this is what was happening in the Old Testament, and this is where we see it applying today. This is where we see it applying in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. He's been teaching us that same idea. The God of the Old Testament is no different than the God of the New Testament. And the thing we need to understand is in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and today, God delivers justice to the unrighteous and He delivers mercy to the righteous. He delivers justice to the unrighteous and He delivers mercy to the righteous. And there's no contradiction in who Jesus is, who God is from the Old Testament and the New Testament. His character is the same. Uh, my friend D.J. Horton, who's the pastor at Church at the Mill over in Spartanburg, he says it this way, I told him I was going to quote him today and give him credit. After today, I'm going to just say this on my own as if I came up with it, and he'll be fine with that. But here's what DJ says about this. The anger of God toward the unrighteous proves the love of God toward the righteous. The anger of God towards the unrighteous proves the love of God toward the righteous. When we hear stories like this, we think, man, God is so harsh. God, why would God do that? But, but what we need to understand is, is that if, if there is no justice, there can be no unconditional love. Those two things always go together in the character of God. God took drastic action in this situation. <clears throat> and the thing I want us to learn today, the thing I want us to, to pay attention in this, in this, uh, in this passage, so if, if, we're, if we're wanting to know how many points there are to the message today, here's a one-point sermon for you, and it's this. God is serious about our integrity. God is serious about our integrity. For years and years, I read this story, I heard this story, and here's what I thought the main point of this story was. I thought it was about money. Why? Because a guy brought some money, but he didn't bring the right amount of money, and God ended his life. And so for years and years, I thought this was about money. And in fact, I preached to some of y'all for 10 years. And I probably preached this one time, and I probably made it about money. It was probably at a time when our offerings were a little low, and I said, i got to bring the heat today and get the offerings back up. And I preached this thing about money, probably. But, but I'm going to tell you, the main, the main point of this is not about money. Now, it, now, don't breathe too big a sigh of relief, because money is important all right? And God does care about the amount of money you give and how much you say you're going to give. But the, the bigger point of this is not money. The bigger point is, is that Ananias presented himself as being something that he was not. Sapphira presented herself as being something she was not. See, the money, when Ananias sold the piece of property, the money was his. He didn't have to give any of it to the church. And, and Peter even says that. Look back at verse 4 of Acts, of Acts 5. <clears throat> Peter says, what, talking about the piece of property, wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? He didn't have to give a bit of the money to the church. He didn't have to give a bit of it uh, to, to anybody other than himself. He could have just kept it for himself. But, but the big issue is, the next part is what Peter says to him. Why is it that you plan this thing in your heart? The thing that he planned was, I've sold this, now I'm going to take it to church, and I'm going to lay it at the apostles' feet like I saw Barnabas do last week, 
like I saw other people do before, and I'm going to present this as if it's everything I got for that piece of property. And so the big issue was not necessarily about the money. The big issue was about the integrity of Ananias, about the integrity of his wife, Sapphira. It was that they had presented themselves as being something they were not. They had come to church and acted like they were completely committed to the mission of the church like Barnabas was, like these other folks were, when in fact they were just part of the way committed to the mission of the church. It was an attempt to make themselves look good. It was an attempt to make themselves look righteous and holy. But who they were when no one was looking didn't line up with who they presented themselves to be when everyone was looking. And that's one of the things that we have to be careful of. That's one of the things that I have to be careful of. See, integrity is when the, when the private you and the public you are the same. The integrity is when the private cliff and the public cliff are the same cliff. So when I stand up here to teach in front of you that what you see up here today is what you would have seen by myself last night when I woke up in the middle of the night and had a hard time sleeping. It's, it's got to be the same. It's got to line up. And I will tell you this, that if we consistently try to live differently in public than we do in private, that we can't maintain that lifestyle. It cannot be maintained. Last night I was watching some NBA playoffs before I went to bed. I enjoy the NBA playoffs. One of the things that you know when you're watching a college game or an NBA game is you know the goal is 10 feet. They haven't changed that in years. It's a 10-foot goal. I don't ever turn on the TV and wonder, hey, are they playing on 8-foot goals tonight? It's always a 10-foot goal. Now, I did student ministry for a long time before, before we planted Freedom. And uh, we used to have these Sunday night after church fellowships in the summertime. And we would usually go to something like the Patat's house. Somebody had a pool or something. And, there was, and almost every house we would go to for a Sunday night after church fellowship, and so have all these kids out there, teenagers out there, there would be a basketball goal. And the first thing that most of these guys wanted to do is see if they could lower the goal to eight feet or nine feet. Why? So they could dunk on it. And so next thing you know, I'm walking out there and there's a bunch of guys that have got about a three-inch vertical and they're doing windmill dunks and, you know, reverse dunks and alley-oops and all this kind of stuff like, like they can really do that stuff. Now, obviously, if it was a real regulation 10-foot goal, most of them couldn't get the rim, much less dunk it. But they were out there living as if, man, I'm killing it. You know, I'm, I, I got it. Now, it would have been crazy for any of them to have left that place and think, I'm signing up for the... NBA slam dunk contest after tonight that it would have been ridiculous because the standard was different from where they were playing and and uh, and and what the real standard was and sometimes when we live our lives and our life is one way privately and it's a different way publicly than what we present it's like dunking on an eight-foot goal and we begin to fool ourselves into thinking that we're something that we're not you can live so long with hidden sin and that you think no one knows about it, no one's ever going to know about it, and I'm going to present myself publicly one way, but privately I've got this whole different life that you can fool yourself. But one of the things we know, not just because of this story, but for a lot of reasons, we know that we can never fool God. 
But he knows the private cliff. He knows the public cliff. He knows you when no one else is around, and he knows whether or not that lines up with the way you are when everyone else is around. Now, one other thing I want to point out before we finish up here. This story is about people lying. It's about people lying to God and what happens. There's a lot of stories in the Bible about people lying to God. And there's a lot of times in the Bible people lie to God and they don't drop dead instantly. I think it's interesting that in this case they do. And I think one of the reasons that may be is because it involved worship. It involved what was going on at the house of God. And God takes very seriously what goes on in the house of God. He takes very seriously what goes on in worship. And, and my thought on that is, is that it seems like that God paid particular attention to someone with hidden sin that brings themselves publicly before the church and acts as if they are living a different life than they were living. And that seemed to particularly arouse the anger of God towards that person. And so the thing I think about when I see that is, is that in reality, it's safer for us to disappoint our husbands and wives, to disappoint our pastor, to disappoint our friends by being honest about who we are than come into this public place of worship and pretend to be someone we're not. And the thing that will get in the way of us doing that is pride. Pride is the enemy of integrity. Pride is the enemy of integrity. That there will be something that you know, this is not right, I'm, I'm involved in something I shouldn't be involved in, I, I'm, I, I have thoughts that I shouldn't have, I, that there's, there's this whole other part of who I am, and, and it's the thing that would cause me so much embarrassment that I can't tell anyone else about it. And so that pride of not telling people about that becomes the enemy of living a life of integrity. I, I've never built a, uh, anything. I've been around some places where lots of things are being built. Um, I've worked on some job sites and stuff. And, uh, but one of the things I do know about building, and uh, there's some of you here know a whole lot about it, is that anytime you're going to build anything, that the foundation has to be what someone would call square. It, just, it has to be true. It has to be right. So if the, if the plans call for it to have a 90-degree a angle here, it needs to have a 90-degree angle, not an 87-degree angle. If the plans call for it to have a 65-degree angle at another place, it needs to have a 65-degree angle, not a 60-degree angle. And all of that's got to be correct before anything starts being built up on top of it. Because anything you build on a crooked foundation, then the structure itself will not be as strong. The structure itself will not be true. It will not be, it'll not look the way it's supposed to look and it won't function the way it's supposed to function. And integrity is vital to our foundation as believers. And so what do we do about that? Because the, the, to be honest with you, there will always be times in our lives where, where there will be something, I mean, not always, but there, there will go through times in our lives 
different times where there will be something that is hidden. We all get to a point where it's like, man, I don't want anybody to know this thought that I just had. I don't want anybody to know this thing that I just did. And we go through those times. And when those times come, we need to be sure that we confess that to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. You find someone that you can trust and you confess that sin to them. Now, we know the scripture teaches us that, that Jesus is our uh, you know, forgiver of sin. We don't have to go to a priest to confess sin. We don't have to come to your pastor to confess sin. But we also know the scripture teaches us that it is helpful for us when we confess our sins to one another and build each other up in the faith. That's what the scripture teaches us. So when you're in one of those situations where you have hidden sin, where, where there's a part where the private you and the public you don't line up, you confess that sin to a trusted brother and sister. Then you pray for one another. And then, the, then you pursue holiness together. You hold each other accountable. So I want to encourage you with that today. That this is a message for everybody. By the way, it's not just for fathers. I didn't, or I didn't roll in here today and be like, hey, you fathers got a bunch of hidden sin in your life. It's for everybody. God is serious about our integrity. And so we need to take that seriously as well. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the opportunity you've given us today to hear your word, to, to be challenged by what it says. Father, remind me today, remind each of us today that you are a consistent God. You are a God that loves. You're a God that judges. You're a God that forgives sin. You're a God that punishes sin. And Father, for us, our only hope is to hold to the foundation of Jesus Christ what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection. We love you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here together today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.